From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball. Welcome to a full hour of sports analytics here on SiriusXM. Coming to you Tuesday morning, a few hours before our normal recording time. The show will go up Wednesday morning on SiriusXM, be replayed a few times over the course of the week. We'll also get the podcast up on Wednesday. This is Cade Massey hosting this week with the whole crew. Everybody's in here. Audie Weiner in an undisclosed location that's not recognizable to me. Shane Jensen from the home office. Eric Bradlow in the home office. Maddie Dats lurking. Deion Simpkins waiting to put the finishing touching on thing. Appreciate you guys being here. Good to see y'all. We are we have a great guest and a long time with the guest, Seth Part now, basketball analyst, football data builder, baseball observer. We have a lot of ground with 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 Seth, but especially NBA. Early in the season, we had a great spin around the NBA, but we spent a lot of time with him. So we have a short first half here. Just touch on a few notes. I'm curious what has caught your attention since we last talked. The Texas Rangers won their first franchise ever World Series. The Diamondbacks didn't quite get it done in the final series of the year. Curious if y'all have any reactions to that before we move on to the NFL. Uh, Winning 11 road games in the playoffs is really tough to do. Winning 11 road games against the worst team in baseball would be tough to do. And so I think from the statistics point of view, um, well, first of all, a record I don't think can be beaten. Um, because you can't win more than that. Um, and maybe if you're in the wild, I don't even know. I have to think yeah, about that, it. Maybe technically, you, if they'd been, had to play like, I think they could have technically 12 or something. Is the yeah, max, 12 would I be the max. You're right. It's going to be a pretty unbreakable record. But either way, I think just if, if you just look at that, you know, another way to view it is for this not, maybe we've never done this type of calculation, but it's an interesting one. For this not to be, let's say, like a three sigma event, what probability, I'm, I'm inverting the problem, what probability of a road win would you have to get that would get it to the boundary of only being like a one in a hundred type of event? And I think the answer is the probability would have to be, I don't know, Adi, maybe we can do the math, like 80% at least uh, somewhere. Way too large to do that. Way too large. Is, just my, my thoughts on this is that um, this is an extremely unlikely event, but this is one of the great things about sports is extremely unlikely events happen all the time, (laughs) you know, and we love to relish in them. Um, And we always have to ask ourselves, when are we looking at an event that's, that's so extreme that it's really worthy of us noting. I I think this is just one of those, you know, we have so many opportunities, so much crap happens and something's going to pop out at that's an ultra extreme. Uh, um, And so that they're, they're great ones. There are more of them happening all over and they, uh, you know, so and obviously uh, something we did talk about last week. Just one quickly, just to follow up. If I think it's Seeger, if Seeger doesn't hit a two-run home run in one of those games in the ninth, then they are maybe ten and one, and we're not talking about the same thing. So let me just point out that it was at the knife edge of not being eleven and zero. Yeah, no, and I, and I, and I think what, that's one of the things that is a notable takeaway from this is you got Corey Seeger being now. You know, there's only four, I think, four people in all of baseball that are two-time World Series MVP, and I think he's the only one that's done it with both the National League and American League teams. So definitely kind of notable playoff performance. You know, the guy's already, you know, building, you know, a, a really great career, but to have all this kind of amazing playoff performance in the first half of it is, you know. But also, Shane, we have a manager, Bruce Bochy, who's now got four wins with two different teams, yep. um, and also who's got a losing record in the regular season. <laughs> so, no, I'm just saying I will be seeing Bruce Bochy at Cooperstown. I yeah. should be. Yeah, of yeah, course no, I should. Yeah, he, he'll make For the sure. Hall of Fame, no doubt. All right, guys. Well, we've got a long off season on the baseball front. An interesting off season, especially with uh, with Tani. Um, we saw a baseball move last night with a surprising baseball move by the Cubs. We'll talk a little bit about that with Seth being out there in Milwaukee country. But let's shift to, to football. Uh, college football will set aside for this week. We, we're, we've got a, just a few weeks left. It's amazing. We're 10 weeks in already. Um, no major shuffling, though. Let me just note, just randomly note that the Sooners were eliminated from playoff consideration this past weekend. That's probably the biggest development. Alabama announcing themselves as a serious contender. They're going to give Georgia a hell before it's all over. But let's talk about NFL. About the halfway point of the NFL. 
observations on the season, observations from past weekend. Well, um, I think CJ Stroud is worth noting, just kind of in terms of standout performance, both like this last week and just his rookie season in general. I think, I mean, his game, you know, this on Sunday, 470 yards, five touchdowns. That's obviously just un- incredible overall, never mind a rookie. And I mean, his, his pace for the year is, 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 yeah, I mean, he's obviously leading the rookie of the year kind of discussion now. I mean, he's kind of, you know, playing sort of, I mean, probably not sustainable, but almost MVP. No, Shane, if you had watched the game, I'll make the same analogy I just made to Corey Seager. He had one touchdown pass, and the other four, he burned Carlton Davis's rear. So let me just comment that it was one Bucks quarterback hey, the Bucks who defense, got burned the Bucks four times. It's, it's not like they were, you know, Bucks. He wasn't playing a bad team. I mean, the Bucks no, defense not a bad team. I'm just commenting. He did yeah. burn the same player four times, but okay. Yeah. So he's smart. What I'm hearing is he's smart. Kids exactly. Smart. You know, can I take the other end of that? Because one of the things you're talking about here with Stroud is just a couple of starts, and we've, we're convinced he's a superstar. How many horrible starts does the Jets quarterback have to have before you're convinced he's awful? Well, I mean, three or four seasons worth now, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean what the hell? It's a real body of knowledge on Zach Wilson. No, I have to say, you know, uh, uh, Cade, you, make an, you made an observation. We were chatting about it during the game that it's this bias about picking first in the draft or, or high in the, whether you're high drafted. Was it a first draft, first draft pick? No, it wasn't. First. It was the second, third. number two. They traded off number two. Right. And so when you, when you put so much kind of psychological capital into something, my God, your mind just wants to grab onto it forever. I know that we've noticed it all the time. I mean, you give first draft round draft picks um, so much more rope from which to hang themselves across across sports, and we just st- keep sticking it. And I know the, the Jets invested in Aaron Rodgers, um, and it was fun to see him on the sidelines. But, man, it just looks terrible to go game after game with such an awful quarterback. Yeah, and Matty Dads points out that Josh Dobbs moving from Arizona to Minnesota – and starting without a snap and winning just kind of rubs salt in that wound. I just want to note that it's not just an observation that teams overstay with their high draft picks. It's been studied academically. One, It was an early paper on sunk cost fallacy, people attending to sunk cost when they shouldn't. And then some serious econometrician types came in behind that paper and did a more rigorous version. And they did it in the NBA. They showed that the the draft pick the where the guy was drafted mattered and they tried to separate from priors it's tough to separate from priors but it looks like irrational persistence of commitment to those one other thing when we just one other thing about trajectories we could also make an easy argument i'd love everybody else's thought of all the sports you could argue that football it's really hard to come back from a bad start to your career so even if zach wilson has the potential yeah. Is there really ever going to be the opportunity now for him to demonstrate it? So I'm just saying, I think football's extremely hard to have like a downward slope and then a big resurgence. Yeah, I mean, Geno Smith stands out right now as the Gino only would be a real counter example. But I agree, it's tough. You know, I mean, certainly Zach Wilson's next stop along the way is going to be in a backup role. I think somewhere, maybe even if that's if, if maybe. somebody takes him, but he that it, it will be a long climb back up if he's still does that yeah well i'm i'm i mean i'm sympathetic as you say it but then i do it does strike me that some guys there are lots of exceptions beyond geno smith so sam darnold how many lives is sam darnold going to get in the nfl just speaking of zach wilson's predecessor with the jets and when is sam darnold getting up yeah i mean i don't well, i'm not sure he that requires that, he be that, good that's kind of more that's my comment. you could sort of say maybe is a better example of one that's at least shown the potential like you know to kind of i, I think sam darnold's kill gives getting chances because of that same sunk cost that's, you, you know, well, he was a number three pick or whatever. Let's take another, you know, the, he gets more coin flips to try basically yeah. based on his draft yeah. spot. Yeah. All right. What about, what about league wide or team team level? The Are, are y'all buying the Ravens? Well, I think it's interesting that made? if the, if the playoffs ended today, all four of the NFAFC North teams would be in there. There's that's not a, there, it, that, so that's pretty amazing. That they're basically all three of the non-division winning, you know, the the non-Ravens teams are all three of the wildcard teams currently slotted for the playoffs. Right. And and Bengals seem to be coming after a slow start. Yes. No, the Bengals are the scariest one. Non-Ravens category. The Ravens look amazing. 
and the Steelers just keep on getting it done somehow. Mike Tomlin just wins games. That's that's all. That's all. They're, they're not. I mean, again, he's a great coach, but they're not good. So I mean, they're you know they may make the playoffs, maybe. But I, I think I agree. I think he's doing a remarkable job with that squad being five and three, and they could win ten. You know, we, we know right now it'd be hard to predict him ha- having a losing record this season. I'll <laughs> see how you. No, think. yeah, I mean, I but I agree, uh, Eric. That I think the Ra- the Ravens and the Bengals to me stand out as the real contending teams among that incredibly strong general division. One other division we have to look at before we go, and it's a division close to at least one person's heart here. What do you think about the Eagles Cowboys game, and what do you make of the NFC East? Eagles are not as great as their record is right now, but they have an equivalent of a two and a half game lead that they lead the conference. Um, and last time I checked, Shane, if they play one last one less game because they're the one seed, they're the favorite. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I mean that being driver's seat for that number one seed and being by by yeah, I mean they've they've built some wiggle room in. I mean last year I think they built in some wiggle room and needed all of that wiggle room at the end of the season, so it's not. Worth getting complacent, but obviously they look to be the class of the league right now. Who else do you like other than the Cowboys out of the NFC? Who who might be there at the end if we if think it's Purdy can get back a non the 49ers with a non concussed Brock Purdy, I think are still a very, very good team. Okay. And the Seahawks appear and the Seahawks appear not to stink. <laughs> well, despite despite Sunday, I suppose. Um, there, by the way, great article on Pete Carroll in on the athletic last week, non analytics, but hugely advantageous head coach, maybe not unlike Mike Tomlin in that way. Good reading for us. All right, guys, that's been the very short first half of this week's Wharton Moneyball. We still have a half to go. Terrific conversation with Seth Part now. Come back and join us after the break. You're listening to Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Welcome back to the second half of our show, which has become, in recent months, our interview segment, as it will be this this week. The whole crew is in here still. Audie Weiner's here. Shane Jensen's here. Eric Bradlow's here. This is Cade Massey. And our guest is a frequent guest of the show, a favorite of the show, and a go-to resource for all matters basketball. Seth Partnow is joining us. Seth is currently the director of North American sports at StatsBomb, which really got it started in the soccer world, but they're entering the bold world of foot, North American football analytics. But Seth's got a background in basketball. He's got a great book called The Mid-Range Theory, The Mid-Range Theory, book out maybe two years ago. Is it 2022, 2020, 2022 um, release? Before that, Seth was director of basketball research for the Milwaukee Bucks. He's still up in the Milwaukee area. Good good morning to you. We're recording on usually Tuesday morning. Good morning, Seth. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, great to be here. Great to be here with all four of you. I think it's been a long time since I've been here with the whole crew. Well, we, we tend to have a group of us, but not all that often four. So glad we have it for you. Good turnout for you. Um, we are, you know, these guys are kind of baseball nuts, but they real, real close behind that is football. And um, so this time of year, we're a little spun up on the football world. We are approaching really in the home stretch in college football, midseason NFL. And yet basketball started. These teams have played some games. We've seen some things. There are some storylines already. We figured it was time to talk to you to find out what your early impressions are of the NBA as you look around. What's got your attention so far in the NBA set? Oh, we're not going to even talk about NCAAs, which kicked off last night. We're going to focus on NBA. What's your impression on the NBA side? Um, So three things jump out so far. One, the Nuggets have sort of picked up right where they left off. Um, You know, sometimes you see a a championship hangover. Uh, The Nuggets are like, this is fun. Playing this way is fun. We're going to keep playing this way, and we're just going to smash people. And we're going to keep doing that. And it's interesting. I mean, this is not obviously I'm more in the stat area, but it's the number of different players that have, you know, done played different ways and and maybe had bigger roles and other other teams that are like, hey, these are going to be the most fun years of my career because we're really good. I get to play with that guy and we're going to win it. We're going to win another championship. And so on some level, that's that's edifying to see players grow into and accept like being the best version of themselves for the kind of the, the good of the whole. Um, that's so, one. So a couple, oh, sorry, a, couple a couple, 
couple follow-ups on that. Can you give us an example of a player in the Nugget system that you're thinking about when you're talking about adapting to a different role? Um, well, I would say both their starting forwards in Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. Uh, Porter Jr. has had a reputation of being kind of a conscienceless gunner, but really starting over the last couple of years um, has has really kind of accepted a role as a third, fourth option. And really starting last year, um, has improved his defense to the point where at one point, you know, in, in the early Jokic playoff runs, he was the target. And I would say there were there were games in the playoffs last season where he'd say Michael Porter Jr. played pretty well. He didn't make shots, but he played pretty well. And that's something that was uh, not something you would have ever said about him before then. And the other one's Aaron, Aaron Gordon, who um, has flirted with being the main guy on some Orlando teams and has now sort of really molded into being one of the elite role player kind of uh, Swiss army knife players in, in the league. And he's one of the ones who's been most vocal about, Hey, I've, I've, I've scored, I've, I've been a, a primary option on a bad team. This is so much better. So Seth, let me just ask you, I, I think I saw something last night that Jamal Murray is injured. And I don't know how serious the injury is. Did you read about that? I think he, uh, he definitely he didn't finish the, the game yesterday. He and, tweaked the hamstring. Okay. So it's not seen as something long run. But let me ask you a question. Is there ever a point? It's obviously way too early. But let's imagine he's out for a couple of weeks. And maybe the Nuggets only win 60% of their games instead of 80% of their games when he's out. Is there ever a point, do you think, where a team will say, look, we could rush Jamal Murray back and get the number one or two seed, or who cares? We know who we're going to be come playoff time. Why would we bother expending this energy on an already too long NBA regular season? I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. I think that the that a team at the Nuggets level who know they're going to be in the playoffs, know they're going to be a decent seed, know their season is going to be judged on May and June. Uh, I think that that the pattern in practice across the league for the last decade or more has been to be judicious with it. Is is getting him back ten days early worth a win or two? Maybe. Uh, is that worth the risk of compromising the rest of the season and having him be healthy, full strength uh, at the playoffs? Not remotely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, we're only one point into Cess three points about the early NBA <laughs> season, but I have another follow up question. That was, we're analytics seat on the show. If you were to come up with measurements that that captured what's different about this nugget system you you quoted players you paraphrased players as saying i'm gonna i'm gonna adapt a different role here because it's just more fun you might just say they're winning so great winning covers a lot of ills we know that but the system playing in a system like they have with the guy that they have and the way he assists how would you operationalize capturing what they're doing that's different. If you're going to measure that team's style of play that tried to capture the reason it's fun for these guys, how would you do that? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I think you would start to look at some sort of shot type data, some play type data. How much are they playing in isolation uh, and stuff like that? The other, the other thing is just by virtue of Jokic's positionality and how having the guy who can either be your your, your the the focus of your team on the interior or play anywhere out on the perimeter just allows for so many different things you can do from a movement standpoint. They're a team that that uses uh, cuts along the baseline uh, very well, and that that becomes much easier. Not to dive too deep into the X's and O's, but if your center can lift and play at the elbows, play at the top of the key, all of a sudden all the clutter that's kind of often around the basket, especially with a player like Jokic that you have to come out and guard um, that, that creates space for, for Porter jr. And, and Aaron Gordon to, to, you know, Oh, my guy's asleep. I'm just going to run to the rim. And I know this guy's going to hit me, even if he's looking 180 degrees in the other direction, seemingly. So let me Seth, let me just say two metrics. Actually, I've seen on this and you tell me whether go back to your bucks days or just think whether this would be valuable. One I've seen is, um, when someone has a high expected score uh, for taking a shot, do they actually get the ball? The other I've seen is based on spacing, which is, um, you know, when a player is open, does a player get the ball? And so that would make me like, I may not get a lot of chances, but when I'm open and I hustle, I'd like the ball. 
And so I've actually seen some data that suggests the Nuggets are excellent on those two metrics. But I don't know if you have any thoughts or when you were with the Bucks, maybe you guys didn't have spatial data back then, but wouldn't that be useful for that purpose, if not others? Eric, is this a little bit like, real quickly, just to clarify, is this a little bit like, does the quarterback find the right guy to pass it to? Which we've only begun to analyze. Okay, very good. Seth, and right. Seth's even. Yeah, by the way, for our, radio, for our listeners on here on SiriusXM, I was nodding yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I, have, I haven't actually done those studies, but it's been something I've been very interested in looking at. I think, I actually think I, I remember asking Adi about, <laughs> about something along these lines a couple of years ago. Um, and, and, uh, the, the data at that point was difficult enough to work with that. I never really got well, anywhere with it. Uh, you had some good ideas and, and it was, I mean, it was, um, um, I think it was based on some research that, uh, Samir Desponde had done and he recommended I talk to you about it. Um, so yeah, I think so. And it's also the, the flip side of that is some, some things I have studied is there are particular actions on the floor. This is kind of like, I mean, the, the equivalent in football is a receiver who will, you know, run hard on a go route every time, even though the play isn't coming to them. Um, kind of a, there, there are certain cuts you can make on a basketball floor that, that create defensive movement that open other people up, but you might not get the ball a lot. The best example of this is, uh, using the tracking data, um, uh, a center who who kind of, or a, a big man who sets a screen and dives hard to the rim might get the ball one in eight, one in 10 times he does that. Um, but committing to doing it hard every time, even though I'm not getting the ball, has value. And so on a on a team, I have to think that on a team where those times that I'm open, I am getting it makes it easier to commit to yeah. making that play every time, even though you're not going to be open most of the time. That makes a lot of sense. That's helpful. All right. Let's let you move to your second observation about the early NBA season beyond the nuggets, nuggets picking up where they left off. Victor Wimbanyama is for absolute real. <laughs> I think that's, I mean, it's, it's, I think we, we talked about him some last time I was on the show, but, uh, I had high expectations for him and, you know, it, it, uh, defensively, it hasn't quite come together yet for the Spurs, but that's as much a function of them being uh, a young team with, with, I think players playing out of position at times. Uh, but in terms of his skill level, his ability to impact the game in so many different ways, um, it's it's the the you know the oh boy this is this is going to be a problem for a lot of people for a long time if he stays healthy. <laughs> so Seth, my 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 middle son Zach, who does a lot of work in analytics, work studied with Adi, got trained in it. He made a statement the other day that I'd, I'd just love your opinion whether you think this is a heretical statement. He he claims he thinks the Sixers should have traded Joel Embiid for the number one pick to get Wembenyama. He's that good in his opinion. And Embiid has a history of injury. Embiid is now 28 years old. How many more years does he have at the level he's playing? The Sixers are not near. Maybe this is one of your other observations. The Sixers aren't one of the elite teams. And therefore, you're going to get three more good years of Embiid when the team is going to maybe should trust the process again. I'd love your thoughts on, is he that level? Uh, The Sixers have had a fantastic start to the season. Um, I think... Um, uh, yeah, yeah, well, wait until let's see what happens tomorrow yeah. night when they play the Celtics. Let's see what happens yeah. when they play your old team, the Bucks. Let's see what yeah. happens when they play the Nuggets. You know, they haven't they haven't had the most robust schedule, but they're playing really well. Uh, Embiid is you know playing at that level. Tyrese Maxey's playing at an All Star level. Kelly Oubre has is looks like one of the signings of the offseason. He was a player who sat around uh, and had to take a minimum contract, basically. Um, and has been played the best basketball of his career so far. Um, so I wouldn't dismiss that immediately, their start. However, um, it's an interesting argument because I think they are a team that, as constructed, are good enough to win a title right now. I don't think that they are one of the top three or four favorites, but they have significant title equity this year. And do you trade that now for the really the the super duper star potential of Wembenyama. I think that's a tough question. It's an interesting argument. I I tend to think when you have a real chance of winning a, t- a championship, you do it. So I would say no to that for now, but it wouldn't if if the Sixers had started, you know, 2 and 5 and 
and looked like they were short on talent after after kind of the, the Harden situation played out. I would take a long, hard think about it if it was hypothetically offered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, on on Women Yama, he's so young, and I was thinking about this with Jokic earlier that Jokic seems to be the best player in the league right now. Is this the way we feel about it? And but he's like, how many? He did, last year was maybe his eighth season or so, something like that. What's the development curve of basketball players in general? And there may be important variations, but in general, what's the development curve? What when do we expect them to peak? Because it's it's interesting to me that Jokic kept seemingly get better. Now he has to get the right pieces around him. Coaches have to figure out how to use him. All that stuff is part of it. But if we take Jokic as like one example, then try to apply it to Wimanyama. My God, I mean the guy's a teenager. He's already doing things that other people aren't doing. And yet he's probably got, you know, eight years of development in front of him or some crazy thing. How do you think about development curves in, in NBA? And I what does it mean for a guy like that? So I think development curves are kind of a misnomer. I think it's if you aggregate across, you know, the the 300 top prospects, it's going to look a curve like a curve. In general, players have much more very discrete kind of step change levels of improvement. Uh, you talked about Jokic gradually getting better. I don't actually think so. I think he got... Um, sort of coming out of the bubble playoffs and that playoffs, he uh, basically the, the, the jazz defended him as if, okay, we know he's a great playmaker. We are going to try to make him be a scorer to beat us. And he had great success at that. They went on a nice run and he had been sort of a relu- guy who was somewhat reluctant to, I don't want to take every shot. And I don't know if it was that experience or what in his career, but since that point, his willingness to be a, I am going to score first and then use my passing. Mm-hmm. That is the thing that that over the last three years okay. has has um, you know there's been variations in how hell he's shot or whatever. But that I'm going to be a super aggressive offensive player for myself now mm-hmm. was a step change that t- took him from an all star mm-hmm. to an MVP level player. Mm-hmm. Super super interesting. A couple of questions for you, Seth. Um, I guess my first one was on Wembayama, just the regression to the mean. Idea. I mean, the, the the number one pick is never expected to be the superstar that we project. So I, I was kind of with you on the Embiid, you know, non non trade. I hate to go against Zach. He's got such great intuition. Um, but my <laughs> but my question is, is that how does basketball? I mean, in some level, we're talking about skill curves, growth curves, age curves. Um, I think of basketball as one of those one a sport where. Uh, everyone seems to get better for a, a long kind of a while and they last a little, you know, they last a while. It's not like football that, I mean, obviously injury plays a bigger role there. Um, what is the various balance in your mind between brains and brawn, if you will? Uh, I think basketball there's, I mean, almost what you're describing with, with Jokic is you just got smarter about playing the game. Um, and in other, in other sports, you just get bigger and stronger, um, maybe not faster. That, that kind of goes down, but definitely get bigger, stronger, wiser. Um, and basketball, it seems that, well, you don't get taller. Um, you probably get stronger. Um, but what, do you, what, what's the, what is the relative role, I guess, with wisdom in basketball and, and compare that to other sports? I think the, if the, the generally speaking, the research suggests that around age 27 is sort of where those kind of curves of athletic athleticism yeah. sort of like peaks early twenties maybe, and then starts to drop off, but sort of feel wisdom skill level is, is sort of tends to be increasing. That's the point where kind of you maximize across both in general. I think that we've seen is certainly this generation of kind of superstars for whatever reason, be it advances in training or just the nature of kind of a super, how a superstar driven sport like basketball can mold a team around a particular uh, player as they change their game. We've obviously seen LeBron be that level. He's, I think he's the last couple of years or maybe the first two where he's sort of maybe not a top five player, now a top 10, top 15 player, but still it's into his late thirties. Uh, Steph Curry is on the short list of players who could still be the best player in the league. It's, uh, I think the general consensus would be Jokic, Giannis, Steph as the, as that's the argument you can have. Um, so, but, and he's well into his, his mid late thirties as well. So there are outliers who can kind of push it back. And I think that, that Jokic, not, not, I know we, you were talking about Wembenyama, but Jokic, because of how much of his sort of physicality and vision is, is, is key to his greatness as opposed to sort of explosiveness. 
my guess is he would he's a player who is likely to age pretty well even as he kind of hits gets hits the other side of that kind of you know 27 28 gets into his 30s all right guys let's give seth his third he said he had three observations about the young nba season what's and eric wanted it to be the sixers but i'm guessing it's not the sixers what what is your third observation on the season so far? So. Uh, it, it's it's sort of bank shot the Sixers and in the start of the oh, season, really? every everyone thought right. that the that the East was was kind of the the Bucks and Celtics. Celtics have been as advertised. The the there's a level of concern right now on uh, about the Bucks here, um, and it's not so much the talent on the team. It's sort of um, I would say the best way to describe it is a little bit the growing pains of a first year coach. Um, the the biggest thing that is is noticed is how some of their defensive stuff, despite relatively similar personnel. I mean, obviously switching out Drew Holiday, who might be the best point guard defender in the league, to Damian Lillard, who is not, has some effect. But but sort of structure of their defense has been worrisome in the early season, um, especially their transition defense, which is which it was was always a strength under Michael Budenholzer, and it's been probably the worst in the league. Yeah, through two weeks of the season, and that's a that is a concern. We don't often talk about persistence in quite this way. We think about persistence maybe between games or maybe between seasons. But what about over the course of a season? What qualities in an NBA team are most likely to persist through a season? Stuff we're seeing now that probably won't change. It is what it is. Versus what qualities of a team actually do evolve most what are most malleable so the, obviously i'm coming from this like can they fix this we went in with such high expectations that literature got so much attention is this something that is fixable relative to other qualities of a, a team might have so the part of it that's worrisome is like shooting percentages can can vary pretty wildly take a long time to stabilize i mean some of the worry about the bucks defense is opponents are shooting really well from three um and that's something that you know you're getting you're getting hit a little bit by the negative variance stick there however sort of structural factors the kind of shots you're taking the kinds of shots you're giving up that tends to stabilize much more quickly into a season so if there's these sort of structural things that you're identifying um you know, uh, Ben Falk of, of Cleaning the Glass has a has a stat called Transition Plus, and it's essentially measuring, uh, you know, fast break points are one thing, but you would still get the ball in those possessions. So how many extra points, how many marginal points are you scoring or how many are you giving up by either getting out in transition or 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 not getting back in transition? And, and on some of those, uh, especially off of their own missed shots, the Bucks are are not only the worst team in the league, but are allowing twice as much kind of transition, Jeez. like over Jeez. two points per hundred, which is that's that we're, we're getting into five, six, seven wins a season in terms of expectation, Jeez. like okay. worse than the, the 29th team in this area. So that's something that is a great cause for concern, I would say, even early in the season. Okay. But looking at that, like how many opportunities have they sort of had to display that in? I mean, you're looking at six games worth of data or, or, mm-hmm. or like, like I, I guess how long do those kind of like, you know, kind of cool measures of, 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 of offensive, how long do those kind of take to stabilize or how, how many games into a season would you be like, no, this is a, a definitely a real thing. Well, so the, and then there's two parts of that. One is that like sort of the opponent shooting in those situations is probably unsustainable, hotly high. At the and same very time, kind of, and obviously yeah. that's very determined yeah. by who they face so far and everything too. At the same time, like on average, a team will get a transition chance as defined, uh, seven seconds or less from a rebound. About thirty percent of 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 defensive rebounds they get live ball defensive rebounds. Bucks are allowing up around forty five percent right now, and that's <laughs> that's the worrying bit. Like shots okay. might go in, they might not go in, but if you're giving fifty percent extra chances, like that's that's a that's you you're worried about that. Yeah, right. Big effect, small sample, but big effect. So so reasonable to con- be concerned. Okay, Seth, we want to jump to a couple of non uh, NBA stories or topics. One of which I don't know whether you're going to have a position on, but you just mentioned concern around Milwaukee about the Bucks, and it reminds me you're sitting in Milwaukee the day after a real surprise in Major League Baseball. Do you do you have positions on Major League Baseball? Are you a Brewers guy? Are your people Brewers people? Craig Council 
stolen by division rival Chicago Cubs yesterday. Very successful manager up there. This may not be something you have a comment on, Seth, but I'm curious sitting there in Milwaukee. So I haven't I haven't studied this. Um, it's sort of I, I know he's been made one of the, if not the highest paid manager, in, and I think he's a good manager. Um, I in my I've had some personal interactions with him. I think he's a very smart, good guy. How much is a baseball manager worth? Like there was, a, I saw a comparison comparing like college football coaches to to baseball managers, and I have to think that a, a, the 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 delta you get from a great college football coach is is bigger. Right. Okay. So Adi audience started to drift and he just came around sparkling eyes whenever he no, asked this a, question. It's a very tough question. And I always would say that a college a college I'm a coach, you know, football, anything football is way, way bigger than baseball in terms of the role of the manager. The old days, you know, I'm talking like Billy Martin, they were the general managers too. So they had way more authority, much more value than in today's world where where it's just not done that way anymore. The, the manager is the team leader, the, the lineup maker, um, and you're sort of the face of the team. But hard- you're, you're getting in the way of the, the narrative from the Rangers World Series. Bruce Boshi, man, fourth fourth World Series. He's the difference maker. Come on. I, I, think, it's, I think I'm it's about that. to tell a story. To go, I'm about to walk away from that. Um, some of my insiders who work for baseball teams have remarked, now that they're there, they are shocked by how valuable the manager is. Um, oh, and and uh, and just you know they can't quantify it, and it's really awful because well, that, we like that, that's quantify a... everything, right? But they're just blown away about how the good manager is able to get the best out of their players. It and I and I think that that that's the part that makes it kind of difficult. My my kind of reaction to that was be, you know, uh, I I think most of where they to the extent that they make a difference, I think the most managers don't make a difference. You know, there there's not much of an effect size, but when there is a, a real effect size. It's this kind of intangible ability that some people seem to, you know, consistently have to get the best out of their players or, or get them, you know, within game decision. Seth. I'm wondering how much of that is we were talking about sort of the 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 general manager versus uh manager. I think that that these teams are uh, like are constructed to be used a certain way. I mean, obviously you can you can use the money ball example of wow, well, don't start paying you at first base. Um and and how much of 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 what the you're you're talking about Shane is kind of the 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 ability to execute on that vision of how this team should work putting players in the right spots uh whether it's lineup whether it's defensive positioning whether it's 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 uh you know pitching and bullpen usage just sort of we're all on the same page and we're kind of using this team uh in the the best way possible and i think that you know just sort of being good to work with has to matter in that regard. Yeah. I mean, I think that is a fascinating thing. You point to kind of like organizational, like within organization, almost consistency of vision. It's something I'm fascinated with as a Boston Red Sox fan and seeing a very real lack of that over the years. I'm sure our Yankee colleagues would agree, like not having that consistent organizational kind of vision seems to really be, you know, hold, hold a lot of teams back, even if they throw resources at, you know, kind of the usual resources at the problem. I think it's a major issue across sports in general. Adi. Yeah. So interestingly enough, we, we had our, our, our big Wharton sports business uh, uh, conference um, this past Friday and we had actually analytics panel. And um, one of the questions that our, our new, our latest uh, Wharton sports analytics fellow, which is Paul Sabin asked of our panelists was what, is the the what's coming up on the what has made the biggest impact across your sports? And we had we had uh, four sports represented. I will sad to say basketball was not one of them. Um, but Ani from the uh, from the Philadelphia Phillies said something striking to me. Um, he said he thinks the biggest impact has been nutrition and just sort of training analytics and management of sleep and just getting the best out of their athletes which kind of dro- jives. I was floored by that. All the other ones were much more practical, strategic, uh, you know, moneyballish, um, and, uh, and, and which we could talk about some of them. It's, maybe we will later. Um, but it, it's, uh, it kind of goes in with this idea of the role of the manager is maybe much bigger than you think. Seth, would love to get your reaction to the comment there from who was the Phillies panelist there, Adi? Do you recall? Uh, his, his first name is Ani. His last name, I'm, I'm going to get wrong, so I'm just going to take a pass. <laughs> 
But it's, that's closer to the ground than most uh, what's most important answers people give right now. So any reactions to that, Seth? Uh, that's right. I think that jives uh, largely with with uh, if analytics 1.0 was find the best players, analytics 2.0 is make the best players. Um, and this I think is boring that- making. This is not fancy making like the Astros, you know, reworking Verlander's spin or whatever. This is like just sleep properly or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I, I don't I, I don't see that. It's a, it's a difference in sort of the, the mechanism, but it's the same thing. I mean, it's or it I is- mean, in basketball load management more generally is that entire concept. Like, how can we you know, we've got this talent. How can we best kind of utilize his limited resource? Guys, I want to I want to come back to something that I think Seth said. I think it may be or Shane, and this is a general evaluation question. Coaches, players, we said maybe the manager effect is hard to find in baseball because for most people it's not there. But in the extreme, or at least on the right tail, maybe on the left tail too, how often are we in analytics able to identify effects that are only manifest in the tails? And it might that not be the case for many of the things that lore says matters, and yet analytics has a hard time identifying. And I, how I, could we find such a thing? How can we reliably identify a managerial effect that's only manifest in the top of whatever, I don't know, name it, 5%? I think that's always been a blind spot across analytics, frankly, is that I, I suspect this exists. I don't know how to measure it. And it becomes very easy to sort of... uh either claim it doesn't matter or because I can't find proof of it because I don't know how to look for it yet or to sort of forget that you're forgetting something. Um, and I think a lot of sort of the, the mistakes that have been made, I mean, I think you guys are all baseball people. The, the bef- before robot umpires, the pitch framing thing was like catchers didn't matter. And then, Oh wait, catchers are the most important aside from maybe shortstops. Um, and that was just, that was sort of a, um, a just figuring out how to properly measure a thing that we long suspected exists. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that there is, yeah, I mean, across a number of, of dimensions, there are things that we know, um, you know, the, the people, we tend to pay attention to the things we can see from coaches. Um, but the stuff that happens where, you know, the team is certainly in a sport like basketball, 75, 80% of, of a coach's impact is, does this team play smart? Does the team play together? Does it play hard? Yeah. Those things happen. The X's and O's are cherries on top of that. But if you do those things, you're ahead of the curve already. Yeah. Seth, I agree with everything you said. I'm pushing on something I think is a little different. That is, whenever it's only in the tails, we don't have great methodologies for identifying effects that are reliably there, but only in the extreme. I think about it, I've always thought about it within football, about tight ends. If you look at the average tight end, quality doesn't matter a whole lot. But the extreme right tail of tight ends are complete game changers. At least this is, seems to be a hypothesis. Do we, ha- we don't have good, anal- at least I haven't seen much, good analytics in any sport for any positions for identifying effects like that. And, and so I'm curious uh, to you analytics folks that I'm talking to here, am I right about that? Can we make progress? What would be the right way? What would be the right way to go? Adi's saying extreme value distributions are needed. What in the world is extreme value distribution? Extreme value distributions is how you deal with um, uh, modeling uh, um, events that are out out of the extreme. So we do so much of our inference around the thick part of the distribution. And where you're talking about um, is in the tails. And the tails can look extremely different um, despite the fact that the fat, the fat part can look, can look the same. And that's, that, that's the sort of the mathematical approach, but the problem with them is they're model driven, right? So if you don't have a physical way to, to kind of get at those tails, you're just guessing. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of uh, mixture modeling for also trying to kind of characterize, you know, observe, you know, people that are kind of more consistently out of the tails or something like that. But those are also more like, as Ozzy said, that's that would be, again, a, mo- a, a very much a model based approach. You had have to assume a model to do that kind of uh, thing. OK, real quickly, mixture modeling. You mean, is this back to heterogeneity? There's different types there. And yeah, no, I mean, it's basically trying to sort of say, like, you know, instead of assuming like a single kind of distribution, you're like saying that there's a specific kind of you know, kind of there's this latent sort of ability within each player to be either like, I don't know, clutch or whatever you want to, whatever this aspect is. And they can, you know, kind of, it defines a new mean for them out in the tail of the distribution. Okay. What y'all are saying is we can do this from like a modeling perspective, but it's going to be heavily 
par- parametric and model sensitive. And, and Adi said, no physical way to do that. So there's a way for a stats person to talk. We can't observe it physically. We have to just model the world as if and see if we can model it better. Eric. Just two brief comments. I'd love to hear Seth. Since we're also a business show here, let me just say in my home field of marketing, how we address these two topics. So you could address the extreme, the tail one, if you could kind of assign various events to the tail, you can build a supervised machine learning model that allows for all types of complexities that might allow you to predict future events in the tail. That's one. Um, And I'm saying black box models. The second is how we tend to measure, let's call it managerial value. And in marketing, we might call it brand equity, this unmeasurable value that's due to the brand is it's a residual. We, We measure everything we can measure well. We shove that in. I'm not saying this is good. We shove it in there and whatever's left over is the residual. And that's due to the manager. It's due to the psychology. It's due to the. So I'm just commenting that every field thinks about these. And I agree with Cade. We all have ways to deal with it. And none of them are particularly that great. Seth, we're going to give you last word on this. Um, I, there's, so there's been some efforts in basketball to take that, that kind of approach, Eric, and I've always found them unsatisfying insofar as I think the, like the impact of the coach is in the residual, but it's not the whole residual. There's also sort of the, the, okay, it's these things that, that I know are important, but I can't measure plus variance. And we don't know exactly where one ends and one begins. And just from sort of the, uh, it's something at that, that's, that's bomb. It's a, you know, as a soccer company, it's called the messy test. It's like you, you do a, all right, I have a new, like I have, a, I have an XG model or a, an attacking value model. Does, does Messi come out on top? All right. It's a good start. Yeah, right. uh, um, and, and so you, you, you do the messy and it would be like, well, why is, you know, this would be sort of the, the, in the, this was like kind of mid aughts kind of, and it would be some of these, like Greg Popovich would continually come out like, you know, below median on these. And it's like, okay, no, that's, that's the model. That's not, <laughs> that's right, not right. reflecting anything, anything real. I don't think. That's, that's great. That's nice that you have such a clear test in a couple of areas. Anyway, Seth, we've, we've taken far more time than we expected to, but we wanted to hear a little bit about your football product. Seth has, has led stats bombs move into North America, which is principally football right now. And you guys are making some data available publicly that is interesting, right? So can you tell us a little bit about what's going on? StatsBomb, North American football. StatsBomb coming from soccer and especially European soccer. So we've developed a, a pretty robust data set on, on football uh, in, in many ways, uh, mirroring some of what, what comes out of the NGS data for, for the NFL and tried to bring some of that uh, to the college realm. Well, obviously they can't, you can't get, you know, a, a systemized set of wearables across 130, whatever SB, FBS teams. Um, but so from video, a combination of, of tracking and event data, uh, and to give a, to give a sample of kind of the kinds of things that are, are searchable, are, are discoverable, are derivable. We've actually, uh, released right now the last two seasons of, uh, Tom Brady's career with the Buccaneers, um, with both event and tracking data and are planning on releasing, uh, another season each month, uh, for, for just public to dive into. Uh, over the next couple of months, um, I actually was at a was at a, an, an, an NBA mock trade deadline event this winter, and some uh, some folks from uh, I, I imagine you guys are fo- familiar with the people from the uh, the Syracuse uh, sports analytics group, and and they were very excited about about sort of getting their hands on on some of this kind of data to see you know the kinds of things you can see from from line play and formations, and you know getting into some of the stuff that we alluded to earlier about like quarterback selecting the 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 right target based on completion probabilities and, and things like that um mm-hmm. so that's that's something that that i'm i'm very excited that's out there um sort of also it's, it's useful kind of as a so from a brand standpoint it's also pretty useful uh qa exercise because yeah uh, right i don't know i don't know if you know this but people are people in in this in, in our field of, are not shy about telling you when they think something's wrong so uh, no, it's the best. It there, it's the best thing about that. It, that's right. It's the best thing about the community, do though, because that's the only way the thing advances. You got a bunch of eyes on it. People know where the problems are. Um, so, Seth, so I'm assuming going to StatsBomb's website is a way to get access to these data. Uh, probably the, the 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 quickest way is to uh, StatsBomb underscore FB on on uh, the artist formerly known as Twitter. Uh, should have a link to the should have some links to the uh, GitHub re- repository. Okay. 
Okay, great. And just one one clarifying question. You don't have NGS data, but you're producing data that act a little bit like NGS data, could provide some of the same insights. Where do these come from? Is this a traditional stats bomb approach of having a horde of folks in in places like Egypt coding data? How is it that stats bomb where's the where is the binary? Uh, it, it's so partially that. Partially we've uh, developed some some uh, some pretty very interesting AI models and, and uh, computer vision to also impose kind of uh, some some tracking uh, to to go with the event data. Uh, something I've learned over the course of being involved in this project is um, both sort of the opportunities and challenges of the size of a football field in terms of not of of mapping where someone is on the screen to where they are in the field. It's it's less of a problem in basketball because. You know, it's, we have the hard cam, and so a player who's standing at this spot on the on the on on the screen is uh, is standing on this spot in the court because that's you know that's what this view is when when the ball's on this end of the court. Whereas with even off of all twenty two film, there's zooming, there's pans, there's different spots in the field, uh, depending on the weather conditions, how clear the yard markers are. Yeah, so 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 uh, kind of. Uh, uh, addressing and making sure the homography of the field so that the location of the, the 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 dot the player on the screen is is properly transferable to kind of an xy across you know the 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 120 by you know with both end zones and uh it, it is is uh super fascinating super interesting but uh in the last year or so we've made some pretty strong inroads in that that I'm pretty excited about that's great. That's that's it has felt to me for some time that that is the real future of tracking data through computer vision, which is essentially just grabbing a video feed and then throwing some kind of algorithm on top of it. you just referred to it as AI. That's doesn't require these players to be wearing anything. It doesn't require cameras in the stadium outside of whatever's capturing the video. And of course, technologically, it's more challenging, but we have great faith that technology catches up. And you're talking about exactly making that kind of progress in the last week. So it makes a lot of sense. That's where this stuff is coming from. That's awesome. All right, Seth, we got to get you out of here, man. That was wonderful. Appreciate the time. Wish you the best um, with all that you're doing. Stats bomb and wish you the best with your basketball work. And even with those bucks up there in the north that they figured out sometime. But thanks for the time this morning. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me again. Seth Bartnow, director of North American Sports at StatsBomb, author of The Mid-Range Theory, former director of basketball research for the Milwaukee Bucks, frequent guest here on Wharton Moneyball. That's been the full hour, guys, the full show here on, on uh, SiriusXM, Wharton Moneyball, from the whole crew, Audie Weiner, Shane Jensen, Eric Bradlow, for the boss man, Matty Datz, and the associate boss man, Dion Simpkins. Appreciate y'all listening. Come back and join us next time. Between now and then, enjoy your sports. <laughs>